0: You can turn again to our, our scripture reading in Daniel chapter 6. And you see here a, a, a story that should be familiar to many of you, the, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, you know, sometimes these Old Testament Bible stories, we, we get some, some, you know, wrong ideas about You know, we think about Daniel uh, often... At, at the beginning of the book of Daniel, you know, he's a young man, right? And Daniel is one of those Israelites that's carried into captivity by the Babylonians. And, and of course, you remember some of those things early in the book of Daniel uh, about how he's able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream and, and that kind of thing. By the time we get here to Daniel chapter 6, maybe we sometimes mistakenly still think of Daniel as being a young man. But by this time, he's actually uh, quite an old man. Uh, You know, Daniel rose to prominence under the the kingdom of Babylon. But when Babylon was defeated by the Medes and the Persians, he also gained a, a prominent role there among the Medes and the Persians. And so this is, this is uh, many years after those events of the young Daniel when he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And, and Daniel here is, a, is an old man. We began reading in verse 4, but if you look at the first few verses of Daniel chapter 6, uh, you see it says it pleased Darius, and Darius is, is known as Darius the Mede he would be one of those those Medes and the Persians that defeated Babylon it says it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes which should be over the whole kingdom and over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first that the princes might give account unto them and the king should have no damage then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm and you know daniel is is one of those guys you know you see certain people in the Bible and just in life who it seems like anything they do they they excel at you think about Joseph in in the Old Testament and how the Lord blessed Joseph and anything that that joseph did uh, he excelled that? even when he was put in the prison he was so faithful there in prison he becomes like a like a trustee there in the prison and all the other prisoners are under him right and Joseph rose to a, a position of great power in Egypt here Daniel does the same thing when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream back in those early chapters of the book of Daniel uh, he's given this prominent position. He's, he's really given like a, uh, you know a position very similar to what Joseph had in, uh, in Egypt where he's over everything except only Nebuchadnezzar was higher than him. And here under the, the Medes and the Persians, you see Darius appoints these various uh, presidents and princes over the different provinces of the medo-Persian Empire. And he puts these three presidents over them, at which it says, of whom Daniel was the first. And so, and, and when it says that he did that, that the king should have no damage, what it's saying is, that's a political move. It's, he's, he's putting a lot of things under the responsibility of these men so that they can make the decisions, and if they do something unpopular, it doesn't come back on him, Right? Politicians are the same all through, you know, all through history. And, and you see how it says Daniel was preferred above these other presidents and princes. So much so that the king, at the end of verse 3, it says he thought to set him over the whole realm. And so instead of Daniel being just the preferred among these three presidents, the king is starting to think, maybe we should just put everything under, under Daniel. And, uh, of course, these, you know, these other uh, presidents and princes don't think that's a very good idea. And they start to look for some way that they can uh, hurt Daniel's position, right? They look for some way that they can, can, you know, start some sort of a, a campaign against him so that he'll lose favor in the king's sight. And they start to look for all these things. Today they call it opposition research, right? When you have a a political campaign and, you know, you want to make your candidate look the best and you want to make the other candidate look the worst. And so you dig into everything in their past that you can find, that you can use against them. And that's what these men try to do here against Daniel. And they, as they look, they can't find anything. They can't find any dirt on him. And they finally conclude that if we're going to find anything against him, you see in verse 5, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, that's a pretty good position to be in as a believer. If the only thing your enemies can find against you is that you obey God, and of course, you know they they view that as a negative thing. Daniel would view it as a positive, but if the only thing your enemies can say against you is he obeys what his God says that that's a pretty enviable position to be in um, I can't say I would be in that position you 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 know you could dig things up on me um, but that's the position Daniel's in and You see, what they begin to do is they see that Daniel, the place where they can drive a wedge between Daniel and King Darius, is with respect to God. They know that no matter what Darius says, Daniel is not going to disobey his God. And so they come up with this plan, and this plan has a a lot of facets to it. On the one hand, it helps to sort of flatter the king, right? So the, so the plan is that they want to have a law, they want to have a decree that says that for 30 days, nobody can pray, they can't ask any petition of any god or man for 30 days except of the king, of King Darius. And of course, when they bring this and present it to King Darius, you know, they don't, make clear what their intention is but they come to Darius and they say we have this idea let's have this special month this 30 days where nobody can ask any petition of any god or man except for you and and essentially what they're saying to Darius is you know this will establish you as being the the benefactor of the entire empire because they can't go to any, you know, any local magistrate, any person and ask any petition except of the king or even of any God, right? So, so what they're doing is they're really saying, Darius, we want for 30 days, we want to recognize you as the highest benefactor. We want to recognize you as higher than any God so that we're going to make it illegal. We're going to make it against the law for anybody To ask anything of anybody except you. And they know that this is a a thing that is going to affect Daniel. Because you see when it describes Daniel later on in the passage in verse 10. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Notice as he did aforetime. They knew they saw every day, three times a day, he would be not in some hidden place, not in a in a prayer closet somewhere, but he was in his chamber with his in his chamber with the windows open. Toward Jerusalem, something you know, no doubt people could see, three times a day. He and they knew that was his practice. That's what he did every day on the dot. Those times of prayer, he was there praying to his God. And you see that you see what Daniel does in response to that law. He doesn't he doesn't make a big deal about it. He doesn't go, you know, hold a hold a rally about it or anything like that. He just goes and does what he'd always done before, what his practice was. He goes he doesn't try to hide what he's doing. He does it just what he had done before. He goes into his chamber with the windows open and he prays to God in in violation of the law that they had passed. Now you know the the story there, despite the great favor that Daniel had with the king, the this Medo-Persian Empire, the king was not a was not a, an autocrat, he was not, he didn't have absolute power. And once a law like this was passed, even the king could not, could not put a, a stop to it. And so you see, these men, the, the ones who assemble there, are the men trying to find something against Daniel. And in verse 11 it says, "...they assembled and found Daniel, praying and making supplication before his God." They knew right where to find him. And they're there waiting for him. And you see in verse 12. If we continue on in the passage. It says. Then they came near. And spake before the king. Concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree. That every man that shall ask a petition. Of any god or man within 30 days. Save of thee O king. Shall be cast into the den of lions. You see their subtlety there. They say. Oh wait. Didn't didn't we pass some law? Wasn't there some law that you, some decree that you made about, does that remind you of anybody in the Bible? Reminds me of the devil back in, in the beginning chapters of the book of Genesis, where he comes to Eve and says, yea, if God said, thou shalt not eat of the trees of the garden, right? And they know what they're doing. I mean, they know what the law is. They were the ones who lobbied for it, right? They know what the law is, but they want to kind of kind of distance themselves from it a little bit. And So, didn't, didn't you pass a decree about this, O king? And the king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Verse 13, Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but makest his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. The king is there trying to find some loophole, some way around the law, that he can save Daniel. Verse 15, then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Verse 16, finally, reluctantly, it says, The king commanded and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake. "...and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee." And a stone was brought, and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lord's, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace, and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me, forasmuch as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. And you see, uh, there in obedience to the law, Daniel is cast into the, the lion's den. But the Lord, it says, send his angel and shut the lion's mouths and Daniel is delivered. He's, he's let out, you know, the law didn't say... That he had to be killed. The law said he had to be cast into the lion's den. Well they did that. Right. Um, He went through that. Uh, But something nobody had ever seen before. The lions just didn't pay any attention to him. And the Lord delivered Daniel. And you know. There's a. a, a, On the one hand you know. Spiritually. uh, This whole account is a picture. Of the. Betrayal and crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel is one of those men in the Bible that is a a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ and how the authorities um, conspired against him to to put him to death. But the Lord saw to it that he wasn't dead, right? And uh, Joseph that I mentioned earlier is also another man that is a, a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. But... You know there's there's some interesting things here regarding Daniel when when you consider where we where we stand in our culture. You know that there are people and groups out there that spend their time really doing nothing else than finding ways to to you know find things against Christians or against biblical Morality. There are, you know, groups, money, all kinds of things uh, put behind resources, put behind uh, those kinds of things, and we see the effect in our in our culture. Uh, we see a, a culture that increasingly is looking for opportunities against uh, biblical morality and, and Christianity, and even we see. the the power of the government being enlisted in that regard. And, you know, there's some important things for us considering where where we are uh, culturally and where we are in the flow of history. There's some important things for us to to consider uh, as Christians. I want you to turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 13 of the book of Romans. Uh, No doubt if you follow things in the news with this county clerk in in, uh, Kentucky who refused to issue a a marriage license to two men and was thrown in jail for she was ordered by a court to comply and she was thrown in jail uh, for not complying with that. Uh, Probably if you've read anything from a a Christian perspective in regard to that, you've probably Uh, heard reference to this passage in Romans chapter 13, right? And uh, Romans chapter 13 verse, let's start, start in verse 1. It says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, for the powers that be are ordained of God, whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. And you see the Apostle Paul there makes statements. He says to be subject to the higher powers. He says, uh, for instance, in verse 2, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And, and if all we had was this passage of scripture, it would seem to be a pretty, a pretty absolute uh, commandment there that you obey what the government says no matter what. But then, of course, we have these stories like Daniel, like the story of Daniel, where you see Daniel in open defiance of the law, disobedience of the law and suffering the consequences of it. And how do we how do we reconcile all of that? How do we reconcile, for instance, this instruction from the Apostle Paul that we should be subject to the higher powers with the fact that not too much later after this, the Apostle Paul wound up sitting in a Roman prison for disobeying Roman law and was eventually even executed, put to death by a Roman emperor, right? Certainly, certainly. Uh, the Apostle Paul, at times where he was willing to disobey the laws of man. you know there's a there's a very instructive passage uh, back in the book of Acts, actually, you don't need to ch- need to turn there, but but uh, early in the book of Acts, the apostles, Peter, especially Peter and John, are brought before the council. and the the council orders them, not to preach in the name of Jesus. They'd been going around doing these miracles, even healing a man in the temple itself. And then they would preach about the Lord Jesus Christ and how Israel had killed their Messiah and how there was opportunity to repent and have salvation. And the council, who were the the political leaders, they were also religious leaders, but political leaders as well, uh, brought them before them. And they didn't command them to stop healing people or stop you know, stop doing those things, but they commanded them not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they continued to preach in the name of Jesus. And what they said was, they said, you judge for yourselves whether we should obey God or man. Here, were, here was this council who had a dual role as both religious and, and political leaders, and what, what they say, is, you know, as political leaders, they told them, you cannot preach in the name of Jesus or we're going to beat you and imprison you. And they, they were pointing out those men's hypocrisy by saying, you, you judge, your religious leaders also. If God tells us to do something, should we obey God or should we obey man? And the obvious answer is you, you obey God. You know, in most matters of, of government, those things do not conflict, right? When the government tells you that murder is against the law, that doesn't conflict with obeying God. In fact, it it, uh, it complements uh, what God has said in his word. And, and you see, if you look again there at Romans chapter 13, not only does Romans chapter 13 describe what the what the responsibility is of believers toward government. It also describes what the responsibility of government is. You see what it says it says uh, for instance in verse three that rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Uh, At the end of verse three it says Do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same uh, verse 4 says, He's the minister of God to thee for good. Right? And But the question comes up, what, what about when government isn't that? What about when government is, instead of being a terror to the evil works, is a terror to the good works? What about when, when um, uh, rather than praising good, the government is praising evil? Was Daniel... Justified in what he did, or was he disobedient? Was you know should he have obeyed the law? Uh, you know what what uh, some there's a there's an additional issue here that that uh, um, affects you know affects the applicability of of these things because you know you take a case like this this county clerk now she's an elected official uh not she's not just a citizen you know deciding whether to obey the law or not but she's actually somebody who's a part of that government system similar on a much lower level but similar to where Daniel was you realize that Daniel is not just some some citizen of the Medo-Persian empire but Daniel himself is a ruler there's no doubt that that uh, what's going through Daniel's mind is that if he disobeys the law, this may lead to more lawlessness. There may be other people who say, we don't, well, Daniel didn't listen to the king. Daniel disobeyed the king. So maybe we can disobey Daniel, right? And yet Daniel makes that decision to, to keep going on doing what he had doing, been doing in obedience to God and to, to go and pray as he had been. There is a, a, a long history, and not just American law, but going back into, into European law that much of American law comes from, with regard to what's called the lesser magistrate. You understand that you have, you have uh, elected officials on various levels and with various jurisdictions, okay? So we have local elected officials Here you have state elected officials. You have uh, federal elected officials. And there are are times that come up in the history of government, the history of law, where a higher government official will violate the trust that they have with the people that they represent. You understand that the, the purpose of government is to Defend natural rights. That's, the perp- that's all the purpose of government. That's why we choose to have a government, because we like to have things like our life and our property and our rights, and so in cases where somebody violates that, there's a role for government to step in and, and do something about it. Right. That's why we, if you read the Declaration of Independence, that's what it says: says uh, uh, that governments are are ordained among men uh, to protect those rights. Okay. And um, there are often times where government on a higher level will will uh, rather than protecting certain natural rights will begin to, to violate some of those things. And it puts people on a lower government level in a, in a position of deciding, am I going to do what's right with regard to my small jurisdiction that I have, even if it causes me to be in conflict with some higher government official? Um, you know, certainly we can we can see all kinds of of uh, examples down through history where lower government officials, because of some moral conflict, have decided to to take a certain action. Now, you also suffer the consequences for that. You see, Daniel suffered consequences for what he did. He was thrown in the lion's den. Uh, In his case, the Lord delivered him from the worst of that consequence but you see how he didn't—he didn't even really try to—he didn't try to resist or anything like that. Uh, he just said, "I'm going to obey God, or whatever the consequences are." You—you you better think about in your own case. At what point are you willing to make a decision like that? At what point would you decide not to obey a law in order to obey God? Have you ever—have you thought about that? You know, I I think there's value in thinking about hypothetical situations that come up and and thinking about how would I react in that situation. Because when you look at the direction that our culture is going, those kinds of decisions are going to have to be made more and more. Those kinds of decisions are going to become, uh, you know, much more common. And especially for somebody who's holding a, a position within government, Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com.